So uh, it's, it's, it's so exciting when you're preaching and um, through some of the words brought, it kind of underlines and confirms what you're going to share is on the heart of God. Because I just want to tell you this morning, God is already speaking to us in lots of different ways through lots of different people. And some of the, because I kind of entitled or got a call to action for us this morning, which is entitled, listen to his words and follow him because he does what he says. And so when these scriptures are coming through about, you know, from what Matt shared, do not listen to my words, do whatever I say. And as Rachel shared, anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. These are all kind of what I'm trying to bring to you this morning, that he speaks, but when we respond, he responds back to us, and he follows through on his words. So this is really exciting for me. So um, birth plans, some of you may know what a birth plan is. I've had a couple of uh, experiences of having to input into a birth plan. It's the kind of thing that expecting parents um, write down in expectation of their uh, unborn child. It's the sort of environment you want the baby to be given birth in. So like the room, whether you're at home with your, I don't know, standing, sitting in a pool, in, hanging from the ceiling, I, you know, that sort of thing, music playing, whether you want candles around, that kind of thing. Um, I've got a couple of examples. Look, yeah, that, that, this is probably the, the, the men's version. Um, making a bit light of uh, what, uh, you, and there's another version with the the woman sort of pain, uh, I don't know, pain management sort of thing, what they'd like in the birthing plan. Now, um, my experience of this was probably back to 12 years ago um, when Eden was born. And um, to be honest, it's a little bit fuzzy, uh, my memory of what happened. Um, I vaguely remember taking some gas and air at some point. Um, uh, I, I do remember rubbing Jen's back with one hand and the other hand admittedly um, making a call to work. Um, my opinion's probably slipped down uh, your opinion of me. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, when you're in the moment, the plan does kind of go out the window. Now, the reason I say this is because our Heavenly Father has a very detailed, extensive birth plan for his son. Not only that, he has, a, he has a birth and a death plan. He's already planned that. And actually a resurrection plan and a plan for him to return. And it's all mapped out. And this wasn't just done quickly on a scrap of paper on a post-it. He planned this before the creation of the world. He knew what was happening. He knew where Jesus, his son, was going to be born, in which cave or stable or whatever you like to think. It's probably more like a cave. I only know that now because I've been to Israel and they showed me what a kind of authentic room would look like. So, um, so he's got this all mapped out. And um, the incredible thing is, he's not just mapped out his son's birthing plan, but you are written into this plan. You're written in. Each one of you, you're written in to this plan. And you play an active role. So as Father God looks back over all of eternity, past and future, he can see it all. 
in one kind of vivid image. We kind of very, my memory was fuzzy of them at birth, but God sees everything. He sees his son being born to a virgin, the Virgin Mary. He sees in the same image his son dying on the cross. He sees his son coming out of the empty tomb. He sees his son ascending. He sees his son coming back to earth in the same way. He sees it all. And what I want us to try and do is have a bigger view of God's eternal birth, death, resurrection, life plan, because we are in it as well. And um, now, growing up at, at school, history was a bit of a... I didn't like history lessons at all. I really struggled. They were, they were a real kind of chore and a bore. They were a burden. They were never really a joy for me. I kind of uh, just endured them. I, I really struggled to see the relevance of these events in the history. Um, they had no relevance to my spotty teenage life in a Guildford school. I just couldn't understand how it affected me. And um, I used to muck around. I, I, I remember the teacher, and in fact, I remember maybe two things from uh, history lessons. The date of the Battle of Hastings, 1066, and the Great Fire of London, 1666. That's probably the sum of what I remember from my history lessons. But the overriding memory was actually that our, miss, our teacher, Miss Pugh, was a little hard of hearing. She had a hearing aid, and um, it would often start whistling through the, uh, uh, our lessons, and a group of us boys would kind of, uh, well, we would whistle along. And, um, <laughs> and if it wasn't whistling, we would start going... <laughs> to the amusement of um, her trying to readjust and uh, the, the frequency. Sorry if you're all readjusting yours now, those who are here. And uh, so it was... Um, I struggle through history. The point I, I bring from this is, uh, as we look back at history, at this time, this is our, our um, we're looking at Jesus through Old Testament eyes. And for some of you, it's a history lesson. I do not want you to disengage. I want you to really engage with what I'm saying and, and see the relevance of these moments in history, which actually happened, like 1066, they actually happened here on earth, the relevance. And actually how you respond to these moments in history affects not just your life here, but your eternal life. It transforms everything for you. So um, please uh, do not see this as a, a dull history lesson which you've just got to endure. See this as a living history that you've been written into and take and play an active role within. Okay? So, I mean, I think I've said that. Um, through this kind of history book, there's one main character that is kind of written through every page. Of, I'm looking down here because my Bible. That's written through every page of this book. One main character, and it's the Lord Jesus. And, um, 
we're going to look at some of his, uh, we're going to look at God's birth plan for him. Uh, it's, it's extraordinary. It was prophesied, his birth plan was sorted out, it was prophesied and told about 700 years in advance of when he actually was born. That's, that's some pre-planning, that's an amazing birth plan, isn't it? So, um, the passage I'm going to be speaking from is from Micah. But in Matthew, um, the, 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 uh, the chief priests, when they were advising King Herod where to find um, Jesus, they, they used this passage also. Um, they had confidence enough to kind of share with the king that this is where Jesus will be. This was where we need to go to find him. And they said, um, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, this is what the prophet has written. And um, I guess as the, these chief priests and uh, teachers of the law had confidence in the word of God, I want you to have confidence in the word of God this morning. I want you to have confidence to put your trust in every word that is written. There's a wonderful passage in Isaiah which speaks about God's promises and his words to us. And it says this, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It's powerful when you receive, when you act upon the word of God. Okay? So listen to his words and follow him because he does what he says. So... As we turn to Micah, I am um, just a bit of a background. He, uh, we know this. Uh, the author of the book is um, he lived around the same time as Isaiah. Uh, we know this because he opens his book in the same way as Isaiah. Um, and um, it, where it says this, it says the word of the Lord came to Micah during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were the kings of Judah. So we can pinpoint it to a historical time. And this is exactly how Isaiah opens his book. So uh, like many of the prophets, he, he was kind of just speaking to a, a people to warn and encourage them. Uh, to warn and encourage them of how they're living in a rebellious, a rebellious way. They were I mean, encouraging them to turn back to their covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. What he also does, he paints a vision of the future. So he speaks into the there and now, but he also speaks uh, uh, and paints a beautiful picture of what is to come and calls that forth. So Micah was warning the people of Jerusalem of the judgment that would fall on them due to their sin and idolatry, but affirms that there will be a day of restoration and deliverance for them. So when we look at the passage, I want you to know that, that it, they were speaking to a specific time and a place. But when we talk about the people of Israel, I think we can... Israel, it's a bit confusing. It's a place, but it's also a people. But also, I think we can see that it's both yours and mine's heart. And so when you hear these words, I want your hearts to be open to the word of God. Okay? 
So should we read from Micah 5, 1 to 5? <clears throat> now the backdrop, just uh, I'll drop these things every now and again. A few weeks ago I was in Israel, I don't know if I mentioned it. And uh, that's just a picture of Bethlehem. Um, so, uh, okay, let's read. Verse 1, marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphratha, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders. Okay. So this, this first bit, marshal your troops. We're just going to go through some of these verses together, and I'm just going to try and unfold and uh, share what I believe God's uh, wanting to say through these, these words. So uh, the first bit, they will strike, no, sorry, marshal your troops, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. So here, Jerusalem is gonna, coming under attack. Um, they're told to get their troops ready. Another version says, strengthen your walls. Um, because their king is going to be seized and captured by the Babylonians. For us, I want us to examine our hearts and see where we need to strengthen our walls and get ready. Now, for many of us, the issue is that we are the ruler of our lives. We are the ones that are the king. We want to be in control. We want to be reigning. And I want to ask you, are you trying to be the ruler of your life and your destiny? Because there is an enemy that wants to attack that way of living and he wants to come through your walls and, uh, and take you away hostage. The truth is, we like this king are weak and defenseless and we need to understand that we uh, are actually, we need to be aware of the kind of enemy's schemes to try and penetrate and try and uh, use every mean to uh, uh, attack us and bring us down. He knows where we're vulnerable. So that's the bad news. But the good news is the next verse. Verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Paphratha. Often at the points of despair and when we do not know what to do, God brings in a but. He brings out an escape route. He brings out another option. 
And here he says, but you, Bethlehem, Epaphatha, though you are small among the clans of Judah, in your state of um, maybe feeling that you're in control of your life, I want you to see the other option. I want you to see that God has provided another route. Now, it says here, Bethlehem and Pathra, though you are small among the clans of Judah. Although, although, I mean, I've been to Bethlehem, and although it is small, and there's not much to speak of, nothing notable there, God chose to exalt Bethlehem and chose to use this place of not much significance and raise it up as a place where he wanted his son to enter and be revealed. And the true is true, that's true of you and me as well. He wants to raise up and use people of little significance and let Jesus be revealed through us. It says, you're small among the clans of Judah. So they may have felt insignificant and overlooked and other more worthy places for Jesus to come. And that may be you as well. You may feel overlooked or insignificant. Or maybe there's other people more worthy for Jesus to come. I want to tell you, he wants to come and reveal himself through you. Bethlehem, um, its meaning is uh, in Hebrew, Bethlehem, Bet meaning house, and Lehem meaning bread. So Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And I think that's just a wonderful image of how this wasn't just a chance place for Jesus to be born. This is the place where people come and they meet the bread of life, the living bread the Lord Jesus, and that's where we still come to. We come to him. So the second part of verse 2, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. So as I said earlier, Micah paints this beautiful picture of a future when Bethlehem has a ruler born in it who is greater than any of the other kings, any of the other rulers, even King David this king, this ruler, will come. Now please make way for the perfect king to come and enter into your life, the true king who delivers his people and brings peace to everyone. He's the perfect king. He's the perfect shepherd. Make way for him. It goes on, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And this is just a really kind of reinforcing this whole thing that he he didn't just he wasn't just born 2000 years ago he is from old he is from ancient times he was there at the very beginning at the very be- I love the bits in Genesis where it says let us make mankind in our image let us make mankind in our image Speaking of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there from the beginning, he was there. And um, from old, from ancient times, it's uh, harking back to his other name, Ancient of Days. Jesus is the eternal God. 
He sits outside of time and space. Verse 3. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. Another version says, in the fullness of time, he shall be born of a woman. So this bit about she who is in labor bears a son. I just want to make a comment on how labor can be long and drawn out. It can be, I'm sure if Lizzie was here, she would concur. It could be long, it can be drawn out. It can be painful at times. It can, it can be uncertain. But even if the waiting seems to go on forever, even if there is pain, there's mystery, there's silence, know that at some point the baby will come forth at its appointed time and place. And that is the same for Jesus. Predestined and appointed by God, he came to this earth. And um, we can just see how God continues to work out his uh, work of salvation, his birth plan through humble, humble people. She who is in labor, speaking of the Virgin Mary. Now I said how you were written into the birth plan. Mary was written in. This prophecy came 700 years before Christ came. Mary was pinpointed for this purpose, for this task. You each are pinpointed and part of this birth plan. And she was just a humble teenage girl. In Ephesians 2, 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's got a whole host of things prepared in advance for you to do in Christ. This is wonderful. Verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Now, recently, as people have been referencing, we've been doing the Freedom in Christ course. And uh, a couple of the truths that we've been learning about is about how we are accepted and how we're secure. And you can see here in this verse those things coming out. So he will stand and shepherd his flock. He's going to shepherd his flock. It means that we are sheep in his fold, in his pastures, in his pen. So we've, we've been accepted into his flock. And then it says, and they will live securely. There's security living in his flock. He guards the gate. He is the door. That's how the shepherds used to do. They used to lie in front of the door of the enclosure where their sheep were kept. He is the shepherd. And we can live securely knowing that we're in his flock. Just on the freedom in Christ, 
we've been hearing this morning about how we need to take God's words and believe them and act on them. If you're not doing the course, you can download the app for free. Um, but I just want you to remember these words that we're looking at week after week. They're living and active, and they are true for you. So these words, he will stand and shepherd his flock. You can pray that back to him. Lord, you said you're going to shepherd me. Shepherd me through this time. You said here that you, I'm going to live securely. Lord, I want to know the security of living in your flock. And that's true of all the scriptures that are written in the word that we, we're looking at week after week. Believe them. They are true. Verse 5, and he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. Now here the Assyrians are kind of symbolic of um, the enemies of God. So you have many enemies that may come against you. Many enemies, taking many different forms. But it says here, he will be our peace. I love the verses. I've not come across this bit before, but I'm very familiar with Ephesians 4. I'm sorry, Ephesians 2. That's not that familiar, is it? Ephesians 2, 14, where it says, He, for he himself is our peace. And then I found it again here. He says it 700 years before, He will be our peace. I love this verse because it's talking about a person being peace. It's not He's going to bring peace. It's not that he can give you peace. He is our peace. Come to Jesus. He's our peace. When the Assyrians attack, when the enemies attack, when everything wars against you, know that in the midst of that, you can come to Jesus. Pursue him. The person of peace, the peace giver. He embodies peace. We say it again and again. Christianity is not about rules. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with the person of peace. So, um, as we kind of draw to a close, how are we doing for time? Okay. As we draw to a close, I just want you to kind of, we're drawing close to, uh, in a month's time, we're going to be at that Christmas, isn't it? And, um, did you know that? It's Christmas. And um, we are going to be absorbed with this whole event in history, Jesus being born. But I, I want to kind of, let's all zoom out from just this one moment and see, as God sees, every moment that God has foreplanned, foreordained, predestined, put in his birth plan, every moment. His, his birth. But I want you to see in that same image, he came for a purpose and that was to die. But beyond that, he was resurrected. He came out of the empty cave. He ascended. But also, as we know, he is coming again. It's written, he's coming again. So don't just look back to when he was born, I want you to look forward to when he comes again. Because there's still some prophecies which haven't come 
into their fullness. We're still waiting. So don't just live for the moment. Don't just live for now. And not respond. And then actually suffer the consequences later. You can't say that you're not told. I've just told you. You can't say you didn't know that he was coming. I've just told you. Now, um, when um, Micah wrote these down on a, on a animal skin, it was hard work. Sometimes they're up to eight meters long, these scrolls. He would have inscribed it on with some plant dye or blood. It's painstaking. So this, what I'm saying is, he had to go to a lot of effort to write this down for us. This wasn't just a whim. This wasn't just a, I've got this funny feeling that this might happen. This, I've got a kind of, I don't know, just maybe a baby might come, Bethlehem. This wasn't just a whim. This wasn't just um, a premonition of some sort. This was inspired, God inspired Micah to put this down 700 years in advance of the moment that we might know that he is coming. So the important thing is, not that it's been written down, but are you listening to what God is saying? And how are you responding? So as I said, this, this wasn't the only prophecy. He's given us more recent warnings that he's coming again. God wants to shout to his creation, I am coming. And that's what he did 700 years before. He said, I'm coming. I'm coming here. Look out for me. You need to know that I'm coming. This is important. This is really important part of history that you need to know about. And then later, he, um, he brought a revelation to John. And um, it's great that Rachel um, spoke from Revelation earlier this morning. Um, so we can see that when God does speak, he does fulfill his words. Yeah, he spoke through Micah and it happened. That's a historic event that few would dispute. But about, uh, about 1900 years ago, he spoke again to John. And this is what he said. He said, and behold, I'm coming soon. This is Revelation 22, 7. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. And it, down to verse 20, he says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So maybe when Jesus returns, he will read John's prophecy. And do you remember that last week, I think it was, that Matt shared about how he spoke from old prophecies and he said today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing maybe he'll do the same when he returns this scripture 
has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I think that trumps your mic drop moment, doesn't it? So we cannot say, if only I knew. If only I knew you were coming. If only you told me you were coming. He's told us, friends. Let me read, as we finish, um, a passage from 2 Peter 3, 8-18. Why don't you shut your eyes? If you want to look on the screen, you can. I'm easy. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God speed and speed his coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do not understand the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Ardron opened this morning with Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. So how do we respond? I'm actually going to encourage people to uh, come forward actually. If they are not sure whether they have responded to this gospel and have put their trust in Jesus, I'd like you to come forward. If you feel that you are just not taking it seriously enough, if I felt actually this morning in my lessons in history, I didn't take it seriously at all. I just wanted to have a laugh. And I felt God just challenge me and say, 
There's some people here that, for me, this is just a history lesson, and they turn up because they feel they should. They think it's the ought, they ought to do this. They scoff at it a little bit. They make fun of it. They go along with it. And I just feel that, you know, God is full of joy. He is the most joyful person ever. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And, but at the same time, he's very serious. Like that picture I had before about running around the house, having fun with his children, but also the urgency of finding your lost child. So there may be some that want to respond. Don't just be, don't be frivolous about this moment in history. It's, it's, it's not just an option. You take it or leave it. I left it in my options for GCSEs. I didn't take it any further. History or his story, you cannot avoid. You cannot opt out. You have to be, you have to face it. And you can either respond one of two ways. So I'm just urging you this morning to respond.